I'm coming on. Yeah, there we go. These microphones like to confuse me sometimes. <laughs> Good morning. We are glad to see you here with us this morning at Warm Springs Road Church of Christ. Uh, I see some faces that I have not seen here before, and that's probably to my discredit that I just have not met you yet. Um, but I'm happy to see you here nonetheless. Uh, it's crazy there in this time because, you know, for colleges and things, spring break is coming upon us, and so people are traveling. We have some people who are back, like our, our buddy over here. And he, he's just kind of hanging out like, yeah, I'm here. But, um, yeah, we're good to have uh, everybody here. In the past few weeks, we've been going through a, a series of, of if-only scenarios through the scriptures. I know two weeks ago, Lee went over the, the scenario of if only we had more knowledge. If we had more knowledge, then it would be easier for us to share the gospel with people. It would be easier for us to get up here and teach Bible lessons. It would be easier for us to do the work of the church at large if we had more knowledge. We prove that that is absolute folly. It's not a matter of how much knowledge we have, because the more knowledge we get, the more of a burden it becomes to us to have that knowledge and to carry the weight of what we know. So more knowledge is not necessarily the answer, but a more willing attitude and more willing heart to do what we can. And then last week, Lee went over this idea of if only we had a bigger building. If only we had a bigger and nicer facility, then it would be easier for the church to grow. I mean, you know, more people would be more enticed and, and attracted to a larger, nicer facility. We'd have more comfortable seating arrangements. We'd have a bigger auditorium. We'd have a fancy fellowship hall. And we'd have all these nice things that people would love to come be a part of. That's ultimately folly also. You know, just from my personal experience, I've seen congregations that have actually fallen into this mentality, and they've spent multiple millions of dollars on a nice new building and nice new facility, and they are no bigger now than they were than when they made that big expansion plan in the first place. So bigger facilities, bigger and nicer things don't always matter either. So what is the heart of what matters in these things? The way we apply ourselves to the, to the, to the effort of church growth. Now, today we want to talk about the idea of if only we had a bigger budget. If only we had more money, then we'd be able to do so many more things in our community. If we had more money, and if we had a, a more loose budget to work with, and we had all the finances coming in that we ever needed, then we'd be able to do all kinds of work for the gospel. And let me tell you right off the cuff that this attitude is sinful. It is sinful. And I'm going to show you why. We have a, a dangerous tendency to adopt this mindset of budget first, church work later. We can only do the church work when we have the budget to match the church work. And this is sinful because of the focus of, of where we're placing our minds. We're limiting ourselves to what we can do with money and forgetting entirely about the God that we serve. We are saying that, oh, we need to do all this work, but we can't afford to do that. And so, therefore, we never try to do anything because we have limited ourselves to what our budget says we can do. Now, that's not to say that we don't need a budget. That's not to say we don't need to be wise stewards with our money. That's not to say that we don't need money to operate on. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we adopt a mindset of we can't do this because money then we have erred in our mindset. 
and that our mindset should not be focused primarily on money, but on what we can do in the kingdom of God with God's help. See, it becomes more about us and our inability than God and his ability when we adopt this mindset. And to kind of prove this, I want to continue with our theme of Ecclesiastes. We're going to go through a lot of scriptures today, but I want to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'd invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I'm actually going to begin in verse 4. And the Bible says this, I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees, I made myself pools from which the water from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold in the measure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun." This is Solomon speaking here about how he was testing the the limitations of of his wisdom concerning things like knowledge and pleasure. In the first chapter, at the end of it, we see how he tested the limits of his knowledge. He sought to gain as much knowledge as he could through his wisdom to, to understand it. And then he came to the conclusion that, well, knowledge is a burden. It just provides more questions than answers, and ultimately we can't know everything. Then we get to chapter 2, and he said, okay, since the answers are not in knowledge, let's test it through pleasure, and let's test it through just getting as much stuff and as much riches and as much prosperity as we can have. And so he pursued this line of pleasure and prosperity, and then at the end of all this, what does he say? It's vanity. It's striving after the wind. And we look at this in the greater context of Ecclesiastes. In the first chapter, in the very preface of the book, he nails this down in saying everything is vanity. All is vanity. And then we get to the very last thing he says in the book in chapter 12. And what does he say? The end of everything is to fear God and keep his commandments, right? That's paraphrased. I'm not quoting that verbatim. But the most important thing is to fear God and keep his commandments, We see here how he gained all these things. He had the biggest budget of anybody in Jerusalem before or after him. He had more resources at his disposal than anybody ever in Jerusalem. And what does he call it? Pointless. Absolutely pointless. Talking about the man who had the biggest budget that God's people has ever had in their history, both Old and New Testament, and he calls it pointless. It's not about how much budget we have. It's about our attitude and our willingness to do what we can with what the Lord gives us. You know, we say, oh, we need to be good stewards of the Lord's money, and so therefore we don't need to do things that are outside of the budget. We don't need to make big plans or anything. We need to make sure we stay within the realms of what we can afford. 
And we don't realize that when we approach church work and we approach church growth specifically with this mindset, we are undercutting the power of God to begin with. And then we scratch our heads and we wonder why we're not growing. Why does God seem to be absent from our families and our churches and our lives? And why does he seem to not be helping us grow? The reason is because you've stuffed God inside of a budget. You told God that, oh yeah, we want to do your will, Lord, but we can only do your will insofar as we can afford to do it with the dollars that we have in the bank account. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not how God works. And we're going to look a little bit more at this as we continue through the sermon today. The danger that we have in this mindset, that we can only grow the church by our own power and our own money and our own ability, is that we place all of our faith in our clever planning, our clever budgeting, our clever expenditures, our clever organization of events and things of that nature. But the problem with that is that we don't take the time to consult God in the process. We rely more heavily on ourselves than on God. And today I want to kind of put forward three things that we need to focus on instead of the budget. Three things that are going to help us to grow as a congregation and three things that when we place our focus on them with the intent of glorifying God through them, the church will grow because we're not focusing on money or ourselves. We're focusing more on God and how God can work through us. And the first thing I want to look at today is that we need to focus more on family rather than finances. Now this applies as our individual families at home and as a church family. We cannot help but grow as a congregation if we are focusing on family. And I want to look at this through the lens of Psalm chapter 128. If you want to turn there, you can. We're going to look at Psalm 128 and see what it teaches. It's a short little psalm, but it has a lot of meaning in it. Psalm 128 reads as this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, You shall eat the fruit of your labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now, I want to notice two things. I want to notice two things. First of all, it's referring to... The, the immediate individual family, but at, then it, at, at the end of the psalm, it looks to the entire prosperity of Jerusalem as a whole because of the family in the first part of this. And it says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. We see in Hebrew there are two different words for blessed. There's asher, which is a happiness blessing. It's the same as if we were going to say, happy is he who does such and such thing. And then there's also the word baruch, which is an honorary blessing. It's a blessing that God gives to honor you, to show you respect. There are these two types of blessings in Hebrew, and we see both of them here. And we see that these blessings come when the individual families are focused on a familial setting of honoring God. When we take the time as families to focus less on whether we can afford to be a part of the church, whether we can afford to give as much as we need to to the church, whether we can afford to drive that distance to go to church, whether we can afford to help the church in these efforts, 
When we focus less on those things and we focus more on fearing God as a family, then that is going to carry over. And we're going to be blessed because of that, but that blessing will carry over into the church because when everybody in the church is focusing on the spiritual health of their family, then the family of the church is going to be benefited as well. We notice how in Psalm 128, the blessings are coming directly from Zion. Zion symbolizing the mountain which God lives upon. So the blessing is being poured out from the dwelling place of God upon our dwelling place. And that dwelling place then carries over to Jerusalem as a whole. Now, in the New Testament, we understand that the church is New Jerusalem. We are the New Jerusalem. So how this applies to us is when we focus on fearing God as a family, and then we then translate that into focusing as being the family of God as the church, blessings will come. When we focus more on being the spiritual family that we need to be and less on the finances of that family as the church, God will bless us. Because it's not about how much money we have, it's about how much God is willing to do through us if we let him. It's not about putting ourselves within the restrictions of a budget as much as it's trusting God is going to give us what we need to do what he wants us to do as his family. You know, as sons and daughters of God most high, we have responsibilities. And yet we fall short of those responsibilities all the time because we get it in our heads that God expects us to do it on our own. And that is never true in the Bible. We tell God he has to work within the confines of our budgets, but we don't realize that the early church did not have near the resources we have today, and they did more. So what's the disconnect here? What's the difference? It's the focus. We look at the early church. They were focused on being the family of God and spiritual households in and of themselves that all came together for the purpose of the glory of the Father. They weren't worried about how much money they had. What they did was they, they readily gave up all of their money. <laughs> they, they sacrificed everything, and then the Lord worked through them in the things that they did to promote the gospel to every nation and every tribe. Why can't we be more like that? Instead, we like to focus on whether or not we can afford to do this event, whether or not we can afford to support this work, whether or not, and I'm not talking about just it's just us here in Columbus. I'm talking about my experiences across America and across the church as, as a worldwide institution and all the experiences I've had. It seems to be a general tendency that we like to look at first whether we can afford it and question whether or not we can do it later. And this is a problem, I think, because we don't take the time to appreciate how God is going to help us in the endeavors that we undertake for his glory. So we need to focus on family rather than finances. Focusing on being the spiritual family of God in the church. Also being the, the families that God needs us to be at home. Those two are very deeply connected with each other. The next thing we need to focus on is mission rather than money. Focus on mission rather than money. And to talk about this, I want to reference two different places in Scripture. And they're both in the book of Philippians. First, we look at Philippians chapter 1. And in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is beginning his letter to the Philippians. And in chapter 1, he gives them details about his situation. He said, I'm in prison. And it's, it's obviously not fun because prison back in those days, they usually stripped you naked, tied you to the wall, or, or, or chained you to another prisoner or a guard. It's completely dark, and you don't get fed unless somebody brings you food. And that's putting it nicely. So Paul is in the middle of this suffering in Philippians chapter 1. 
But in chapter 1, he says some remarkable things. He says, I don't care if I'm in prison, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing all this for the sake of time, because I don't want to spend the, our entire time going through this and explaining it later. But he says he doesn't care if he's in prison, and he doesn't care that people are preaching the gospel out of contempt against him, even though he is in prison. Why? Because he's more worried about the mission than his physical condition right now. And more than that, we see that Paul, in chapter 1, later after those, those verses there, he talks about how, whether in life or in death, may Christ be magnified in my body. Well, if we look into the mind of Paul, he's not worried about money. He's not worried about his physical state of condition. He's not worried about what's going to happen to him here. He's not going to worry about any of that. He's more worried about the mission of the gospel and the mission of the church being followed through with. Then you fast forward through the book a little bit further, and we see how in chapter 3, Paul calls out the Judaizers that are, that are giving the Gentile Christians a hard time, and he says, if anybody has reason to boast in their Jewishness, I do. And then we see all the things that Paul had in his Jewish system and all the things that he was willing to give up. And what, is, what does Paul say in chapter 3, verse 7, 8 and 9? He says that I count all of these things as rubbish in comparison to what? The knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's more worried about the mission of the church. He's more worried about the glory of Christ. He's more worried about what can be done through the church to bring glory to the Father than any personal gain, than any physical condition, than budgets, than any of these little menial things that don't matter. He said it's not about that. We should be willing to happily give all of those things up, happily, because it doesn't even compare to the knowledge of Christ. It does not compare to the glory of, of him and what we can do for him as a church. If only we had a bigger budget, we could do more in the mission field. That's simply not true, because if we had a mind to do the work, God is going to make sure we have what we need to get the work done. Our Father is not slack in giving us what we need to get that done. But do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? We get so caught up in the physical and fiscal realities of this world that we don't take time to ponder the power of the spiritual that our Father controls and how He owns everything anyway. We fast forward again through Philippians in chapter 4. If you get about halfway down, closer to the end, you'll see how Paul says, I have learned how to abound, and I have learned how to be made low or brought low. But in all things I've learned to be content. Why? Because verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be poor, I can have no budget, and be fine. Why? Because it's Christ who gives me what I need. I can have all the budget in the world. I can abound, and I'm still content. Why? Because it's not about the budget, it's about Christ who gives me what I need. Paul learned something very valuable that we need to learn as well. And that is when it comes to the work of God... In the work of the church, God is able. God is able. And when God's people do God's work in God's way, by God's power, great things will happen. Great things will happen. It's not about the money. It's about what we are doing now with what God gives us for his glory. And let's see how God multiplies that work for us. 
If we want to grow as a church, we need to be focused more on mission than on money. The next thing we need to look at is focusing more on saving souls rather than saving dollars. If we turn to Acts chapter 5, we'll see a story of two people by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. We remember their story well because in Acts chapter 5, they sold a piece of land that they owned and then they gave the money from that sale and laid it at the apostles' feet to be used. But they saved some of the money out of that deceptively and then they lied about it. They lied not only to the apostles, but they lied to the Holy Spirit because they took some of the profit from the sale and kept it and hoarded it for themselves. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? They paid for that decision with their lives. Not only because they, they saved some money out, but they lied about it. And how many times do we, when we are presented with the opportunity to be a part of a work that saves souls, that grows the church, do we want to be more interested in saving money? Or even at an individual level. You know, I'd give more to the church for the purpose of saving souls, but, you know, i got to save for my retirement plan. You know, I can't afford it this month. And then we say that for every continuing month after that. You know, I would give more to the church, and I would help support more benevolent works, and I would help do all of these things, but i got to save for such and such thing. I'm not saying that saving money is wrong, but what I am saying is we can allow saving money to become an idol. Saving money is a good thing. I'm I'm not demonizing that, but when our attitudes reflect that we're more worried about saving dollars than saving souls, that's when it becomes a problem. Because we're more worried about our fiscal reality than we are about our spiritual reality. And this is a problem for the church. It's not about having a bigger budget. It's about what we're doing now to save souls instead of dollars. The biggest issue with all of this, though, is that when we limit ourselves to working for the church only within the realm of our budget, and then we do the same things that Ananias and Sapphira did, whether we knowingly do it or not, whether we keep the money back and then we want to deny it all day long, is that it's, it's shifting the glory away from the Father and placing the limelight strictly on us. And instead of bending our knee in worship and glory to the Father, we now take God off of his throne and put our inability up there and we bow our knees to our inability rather than praising the God who is able to do all things through us. Now, of all the things we talk about today, that is the most serious one that we can talk about. Because so many times the budget becomes the God of our worship and the God of our desire rather than the God of heaven who has called us to so many greater things than money. So many times we like to place the God of, of bank accounts so much higher than the God of heaven. And that's really the heart of the issue that we're talking about today. It's not about whether or not we can do more through more money. It's about believing and trusting that God is capable of doing more through us than we could ever do on our own with our own money. If only we had a bigger budget, but to what end? If only we had more faith in God to do through us what he promised to do. That's the question we should be asking. If only we had a bigger and more strengthened and fortified faith to carry out the will of the Lord. 
that's the question at hand today. As we start wrapping this lesson up, I want us to think about that. Think about ways in our lives that we can start to take the God of money off of the throne and put God back up there. Put God in his rightful place. It's not about money. It's about him. It's not about budgets. It's not about saving dollars. It's about saving souls. It's not about money. It's about mission. It's not about finances. It's about family, both individually and as a church. If we want to grow the church, we need to focus on those things more than we need to focus on our budgets. Maybe our issue today is not necessarily that. Maybe we have other spiritual needs today, and we need to address those as well. You know, we're, we're coming to the end of the lesson, and we're going to offer an invitation here in a minute. And whether it's, it's related to relying too heavily on our finances or simply not relying on God at all for other spiritual issues, now is the time to address that. Whatever our needs are, now we have a time to come before God and ask for forgiveness, whether we're a Christian or not. If we're not a Christian, now is the perfect time to put Christ, excuse me, to put Christ on in baptism. Now we have a time to put Christ on in baptism because of what he has done for us. If we've already done that, though, and we have a spiritual need, and we need to have that prayed for, why not come to now? Why not come right now? You know, when we think about all of our lives and the worldliness that we are surrounded by each day, it's not hard to be sucked into a worldly frame of mind where we focus more on finances, where we focus more on paying bills and getting the kids to school and maintaining our jobs and maintaining our lifestyles. It's easy to fall into that. But let me encourage you to not let that become your sole existence. There's so much more waiting for us beyond the realm of this physical, temporary life. God is offering us glory. He's giving us grace. He offers us forgiveness. So why don't we take a hold of that today? If there's any need whatsoever, I encourage you to come now as together we stand and sing.